Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. If batshit crazy is a measurement, then this guy would be a whole herd of elephant shit crazy. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. Spring has sprung here in Concord, North Carolina. Rainy, cool, but hey, my weeds are popping up all over the yard. All right, so in tonight's show in uh, Pipe Parts, going to talk about the... uh, I'm going to talk about the jobs within the tobacco industry in particular. I'm going to talk about some of the key jobs on the manufacturing side. Um, and then my guest tonight is Bobby Fabian. Bobby is writing for uh, PNT Magazine. And uh, hey, he's a young guy. So we like having the young guys on here. Uh, mail, uh, music, mailbag, and rant. All that coming up on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, before we get started with the show, though, I do want to mention that, uh, I, I hate to say it, but uh, donations and uh, from product have been a little tight this year for the JDRF auctions. Normally, we would have started already, but uh, hey, look, if you've got anything that you'd like to donate, we would greatly appreciate it. We're way off of where we've been in the past, and uh, you know, with the, with the FDA lawsuits and everything coming... You know, uh, I guess a lot of the suppliers and, well, rightfully so, a lot of people are spending their money in other places and uh, it's times are tight out there for suppliers, importers, manufacturers, and retailers. So if you've got anything, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. We will get uh, whatever we've got going and uh, I'll talk to Steve Fallon. We'll get it going in the next week or so. Um, speaking of the FDA... The lawsuit from the trade associations and uh, the uh, and the cigar rights of America folks. The reading of it has been put off until August. It was originally scheduled for March or April, but the uh, the first hearing of the suit has been put off till August, and we're not sure exactly why. I spent all day yesterday trying to see if I could learn why. So there you go. That's the only update I've got for you. In the meantime, stock up on your uh, favorite tobaccos and pipes right now, because they're never going to get cheaper, never going to get more available. All right, everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, so a little while back, I think it was a, um, yeah, I think it was a, a iTunes feedback that we got. And I've read it. And speaking of iTunes, if you're on iTunes and you have not left a rating or review, please push pause. Go do that for us. We would appreciate that as well. Um, one of the questions or one of the comments was the jobs in the different parts of the tobacco or the pipe tobacco world. In the pipe tobacco manufacturing side of it, I've been inside the Scandinavian Tobacco Factory in Athens, Denmark. And I've been inside the McBaron Tobacco Factory in uh, in Svenborg in Denmark. So in the in the factory itself, 
which a lot of the factory, the big factories are automated. So this really only applies to those larger manufacturers. It's not going to apply to the uh, to the kind of boutique guys like Cornell and Deal or McClelland. Um, inside the factory, the factory is broken up into uh, three, well, four different areas. Let's just call it four different areas. There's the tobacco storage, which are very large barns that are mostly climate controlled, but not really because the tobacco enjoys going through a couple of years of summer sweats and then cooling off. Uh, in that area, though, is probably where the most important person in the pipe tobacco world works. That is the leaf buyer. Uh, the leaf buyer used to go out to all the auctions and deal with the uh, and deal with the auctioneers and try to get the best leaf available, but now we have what are just basically brokers that represent different farms and different growers from different countries, and that leaf buyer will travel to those brokers or travel out to those farms and look for specific grades of leaf. Uh, quality of leaf because certain blends require a higher sugar or a uh, or a bigger leaf uh, so that buyer that leaf buyer is the one that is getting the base component tobaccos that are needed for the factories so that guy spends a lot of time traveling around the world and has spent a lot of years as a apprentice leaf buyer or working in the uh, working in the barns or working with a broker before he's been promoted to the leaf buyer for that factory um, so now we've got all the leaf well then there's a then there's a blender and in the case of both of these large companies there's a head blender that is responsible for creating the blends and also is responsible for keeping the blends that they have consistent. So the blender is going to take the components or take the parts that the leaf buyer has purchased and is going to make sure that you know what this is going to this will work for this blend that will work for that blend. And they and the same thing for a brand new blend. Uh trials, testings, all that stuff. Now, the blender may work with a flavoring person and with some of the people in processing and may work closely with some of the people on the sales side when it comes to creating new blends and getting their opinions on it and going through all those trials. All right, so now, we're, now we've, got the, uh, we've got the tobacco being blended. Well, inside the factory itself, the factory is broken up into three parts in there. It's the primary, the secondary, and then packaging. Uh, what the primary does is take those component leaves that the leaf buyers bought and that the blender has said, this is what I need for these mixtures. And they process that individual leaf and get it destemmed, get it, uh, get all the bad spots, get all the bad parts out of it, get the moistures up to the right levels. And all they're doing is processing that first single, uh, that first individual product. Now that product sits in bins waiting. And when the, when sales says, hey, we need more of this, the 
people in the secondary, which is where those blends get created. Uh, there's a secondary processing, and there's a manager over that. They go and they grab the components that they need to make the mix. They grab the flavorings that they need to make the mix. They set the mix, and they run it through you know, whatever processor they use to uh, mix and blend that product. In some situations, in the secondary processing, uh, the blend may be further cut or thrashed for the right size of what the, uh, of what the blender wants. Uh, the blend may be pressed into cakes and held in cakes until they're ready to be cut. Now you go into the third part, and the, the third part inside the factory, but the final part, and that's packaging. Uh, packaging is where you've seen pictures and videos of it where product is finished product that has been held and waiting in uh, waiting in large bins is literally packed uh, whether it be a pouch a can a flake whatever it is there are different lines inside these big factories that process pack and put it into the packaging uh, inside of packaging is also where the people that work with the label design and the tin art and all that stuff, the pouches, the uh, all the different country labels and all the different country health warnings. That's where those people work and make sure that each product is ready to go to whatever country it's ready to go to. So now you've got the finished product all the way packed. Uh, inside that finished packaging area, there may be some hand packing stuff going on. Different levels, different skills are required, and uh, different jobs within there, but most of it in the big factories is automated at this point. From that point, then it gets into what I used to do with the sales side of it and the distribution side of it, and uh, that's kind of uh, what happens to tobacco inside of a factory. All right, in just a minute, Bobby Fabian will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us on the telephone from all the way across the other side of the country here from uh, Beaverton, Oregon is Bobby Fabian. And Bobby, I think um, if I'm correct, the first time I met you was about four or five years ago at a Kansas City pipe show. Yeah, that's correct, Brian. All right, so let's get to know you. Um, where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? And um, and uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? Well, I uh, 
grew up in a small town called Monahans in Texas. Uh, it's in the middle of the Permian Basin, dead center of oil field country. I, uh, for a very, very long time, wanted to be a Navy pilot until I figured out that I get violently seasick, so that kind of put the kibosh on things. Oops. I picked up smoking a pipe about six months after my 18th birthday. And, uh, and, and I've had a request from, uh, uh, from listeners to find out how old people are, so how old are you now? Well, I am, uh, uh, you know, old grizzled 25 years old yeah you puppy you wet behind the ears young buck whatever okay so <laughs> uh so you're 18 and where'd you get the pipe how did it go what'd you try first um i was attending college at west texas and university up in the panhandle um Went into the local tobacco shop. Um, at, at the time, I, I was working as a resident assistant, so dorm mom on campus, and yeah. my boss happened to actually be the illustrious Jesse Jones. Um, oh, no. He was... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Jesse for years. Um, so he, he was up at the, the shop, and I had been smoking cigars and hookah here and there, and he, uh, he mentioned, you know, well, well, take a look at this, you know, state pipe basket and uh, found me a beautiful little Coventry billiard about a group two size. Uh, I think it was 15 bucks. Grabbed that in a, one of the, the local blends there at the, the shop. I think it was a, actually, I think it was just straight black Cavendish. Um, that was, that was the first thing I smoked. And ever since then I was hooked. So did you, uh, so did you take to it like a duck to water or did you, uh, did you have a little bit of a learning curve? There, there was a bit of a learning curve. I am, um, well, yeah, hanging out with Jesse all hours of the day and night just about. I uh, I got lucky and had a pretty pretty fantastic teacher. But um, for for the first couple of months, it was it was pretty rough going. You know, finding the the whole you know how do I pack this ride? How do I keep it burning? Uh, how do I keep it from burning too hot? Um, you know, there's the norm, but once, once I got into a, a good rhythm, it really, really took off for me. Did the, uh, pipe collecting bug hit you and all of a sudden you had like 14 pipes? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, poor college kid, pension pennies, and I got my Coventry, um, probably three or four months later, I was interested in a couple of different tobacco blends, um, I think it was in English and, and something else, and... I didn't. I didn't want to smoke it out of my Coventry, so I got a, a cheap Mitchell Thomas for about thirty dollars. And I think after after that, in in two years, I was up to nine or ten pipes pretty quick. And did you start trying all different types of tobaccos? And have you landed in one style that you prefer? I uh, I still I still migrate pretty regularly. Um, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of just traditional, you know, some vapors, but I, I uh, I'm actually a big Burley fan. I uh, I enjoy Carter Hall. I smoke entirely too much Carter Hall to to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> but I, I keep a handful of different tobaccos in rotation. But I, I stay away from aromatics for the most part, and every now and then I'll get into an English. But that's straight up tobacco. That's all I like. 
All right. So going back six, seven years, you've got you know, you've got a little bit of a collection of pipes. What was that? What was kind of that holy grail pipe for you that you were wanting to get and drooling over, and then uh, finally got? You know, actually, it was um, I picked up one of the uh, first batches uh, of uh, Nording Harmony. Um, it was it was a really really unique Harmony. I know most of them, you know, they've they've got Eric Nording's patented lacquer finish with the designs on them and. This one that I actually picked up was white with uh, musical notes on it, and you know it had had staves and and all kinds of stuff on it. And uh, I don't I don't know what it was. It just hit me. I, I had to have it, and I I still love this pipe to this day. Um, it was kind of an interesting pipe. I ordered it from uh, Lake Pipes and Cigars, someone like that, and somehow it got missed in shipping. So instead of making it from from the East Coast to Texas, it made it from the East Coast. To Europe, to Russia, to Singapore, to Texas. Uh, don't, don't ask me how, but that was a that was an interesting uh, tracking number to follow. <laughs> did it come with its own frequent flyer miles? I, I wish it did. I man, I could have gotten a couple of tickets that way. Uh, it would have been great. Yeah. So when you got the pipe, did it live up to everything? Finally, once it landed and got over the jet lag. Oh yeah, absolutely. I got, I got a tin of the the Nordic Foxhound to go with it. You know, real, real, real smoky Latakia, you know, Balkan blend, and smoked the whole tin in about two and a half weeks through that dang thing, and it's it's been a beauty ever since. <laughs> uh, what were you going to college for besides listening to Jesse? Well, <laughs> uh, at first, I uh, I was actually a music education major. I, I received my, my scholarships and funding and all that as, as to do that. And after about a year of that, I realized that while it was fun, I didn't want it to be a career. So I graduated with a Bachelor's of Business Administration in Computer Information Systems. You went, like, almost 180 degrees in the other direction. Almost. Almost. I, uh, I, I figured it was better to, instead of turning music into a career, to leave it as a hobby and find a career that could fund music as a hobby. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I think the only more reverse, reverse direction you could have gone was if you were a dance major and went into criminal law. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's just about the only thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so starting out in music education, I'm assuming you play some sort of an instrument or two or 12. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A handful. Um, I, I don't play nearly as many anymore, but, um, I, I actually started out as a, uh, clarinet player, um, received all of my, my scholarships through, through clarinet and bass clarinet. Um, had played the drum set since I was a wee one, uh, just various other instruments. So I, uh, Always had the, the musical bug. I, I uh, sadly I don't have much time anymore for it, but I, I do play bass guitar when I when I can, and I still have a clarinet. So, so clarinet, drums, bass guitar. I see a picture of you with a banjo, so you can pretty much learn how to play whatever you want. And I don't like you anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I'll get over it. Well, I'll talk about you behind your back sometime. Um, uh, all right, all right. Yeah. 
All right, so then when I first met you, you had to have been about, oh, I don't know, 20, 21 maybe, and was that your first pipe show as a Kansas City show? It, it was actually, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, and uh, I had a very, very large truck in college. I, I don't know how I ended up with it, but through family, friends, and stuff, I, I had a large truck, so... It was myself and Jesse and a couple other folks. We all loaded up in the truck and tore across the, the Great Plains to make it there. It was all of our first show, actually, and we decided we needed to go. So so your first impressions of walking into a Kansas City Pipe show were what? These, these are my people. You know, <laughs> most of them were a little older than me, but uh, it was, man, it was, it was a great time. It was, it was nice to to see a community of like-minded individuals enjoying the same thing. <laughs> Felt like you've returned to the mother planet. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was it was home. It was great. And then uh, what other what other pipe shows have you been to? Uh, so I have made it to Kansas City multiple times. Um, so far between my work schedule and other life activities, the only other show I've actually made it to has been the uh, the NASDAQ show in Columbus. Uh, no Las Vegas trips now that you're on the West Coast? I have, uh, well, now now that I live in, in Oregon, I'm, I'm shooting for it this coming year, absolutely. Um, every other time beforehand, it seems like the, the Chicago show, which is, you know, the, the big one, I'd, I'd like to make it to there, but... Uh, for some reason, it only seemed like something was happening in the middle of it, and I, so I could never get off work or you know get away from school for it. But uh, but yeah, the, the West Coast show is high on my list this year. Yeah, yeah, especially since you just have to do the hour and a half flight or uh, the day drive down. But um, do you have any? Uh, all right, so you're since you are younger and there's a lot of younger listeners. Do you have any suggestions for? The younger or newer pipe smoker when you go to a pipe show? You know, I my my biggest thing that I, I can tell the other people, especially the, the younger pipe smokers, is it's okay to slow down a bit. Um, a, a lot of other pipe collectors and pipe smokers my age, I know they, they get caught up in, I have to try all of the new tobaccos, I have to get one of every pipe in the world. Um, you know, it's these these things take time. It's it's okay to to be slow and patient. I mean, pipe smoking is not a very fast paced hobby to begin with. It's slow down, enjoy a bowl or two. It's fine. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, and when you're around at the pipe shows, uh, sit down with some of the older guys and watch what they do. Listen to what they talk about. Absolutely. I have learned so much from people who have been smoking for twice as long as I've been alive. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's wealth of knowledge and information out there and, and it's not, it's not a race. There's don't, don't worry about it. Just, just calm down. Enjoy it. It's, it's a fun hobby. That's why we do it. <laughs> and you've got plenty of years to build up your collection of a hundred pipes. So you don't have to do it all in six months. Exactly. Exactly. That is a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Bobby about taste testing tobaccos. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? 
Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Bobby Fabian and uh, so now I guess technically you and I work together because you are one of the uh, taste tester blend reviewers whatever it is for Pipes and Tobacco's magazine Uh, plus you've written a whole bunch in the NASPC's pipe collector so uh, let's talk about that did the pipe did the writing in the pipe collector come first uh, yeah, I did actually. I um, I uh, actually the, the show you and I met at. I uh, ended up sitting out in the smoking tent and met uh, Jeff Nall and Eddie Fleiss, who uh, are the uh, I guess the secretary and treasurer of the, the NASPC, and they uh, got a got a good report going out there. And they they eventually asked me about a year later to to start filling in columns here and there. They uh, they were down a few writers and wanted some some young blood involved. Yeah, yeah, we need new people, young people coming in. Um, so when did you when did you start doing the reviews for P and T? That was about, and uh, actually, it's coming up uh, two years ago, um, pretty soon. I uh, think I got my first batch of tobaccos in for the summer edition of twenty fifteen. All right. So how does it work? Chuck sends you tobaccos and says, uh, try these, and I need your writing and your reviews back in, what, a month? Uh, about, um, so, so Tad and I talk during, during the, the lag month in between the, uh, the editions, and we, we kind of discuss, you know, what, what new tobaccos are coming out, um, what old tobaccos have kind of been overlooked by people, and uh, we, we try to get a list of anywhere, you know, about a baker's dozen of tobaccos in and then and then chuck acquires them for us and he uh, sends us each the the tobacco samples um so so to break it down uh, tad and i actually do slightly different things um tad predominantly focuses on the the straight subjective review you know these are the tobaccos this is how the blend comes together um i, I get the, the arguably more fun role i uh I review the tobaccos, but my my also part and parcel I uh, I pair them with various alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. So you could you could say in fancy speak that I'm a tobacco sommelier. <laughs> okay, so uh, so first of all, if somebody is a tobacco blender or manufacturer or whatever, they can contact you and bribe you and try to get their blend reviewed. They could try, but uh, I, I don't hold the uh, the pocketbook for uh, for purchasing the tobacco. The final say comes down to Chuck. So, aha, uh-huh. okay. Well, you, you'll take the bribes anyway. 
Yeah, well, hey, if they want to send me tobacco, I'm never going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get, are, are you getting like a full tin or maybe an ounce in a, in a uh, Ziploc bag or a pouch of each blend? It, it depends on availability. Um, with some recent changes in rules and regulations, um, we now have to purchase tobacco for reviews. So lately, we've been getting full tins. Um, if if it's something like uh, you know a block of Sebwa, then sometimes you know Chuck will split it in half. I'll get half, and and Tad will get half. But for the most part, we get full tins. And then you. Uh, I guess you sit down with it. Do you smoke the entire tin all the way through, or are you bouncing between multiples while you're doing this? What I, what I try to do, um, especially to, to help with you know, tongue bite, I mean, I, some some tobaccos can agree with me a little better than others, so I, I like to dedicate two to three blends a week, and I'll, I'll sit down and smoke, you know, d- depending on, on what it is, anywhere from... You know, a quarter of a tin to a half a tin uh, through a day or two. Uh, I'll I'll compile notes and stuff, and I'll I'll get general tasting notes for all the blends. Um, once I've done that, I'll come back through and have a bowl or two a night of each different blend and and pair them with things. I like I said I, I kind of like to to sit on what the tobaccos are for a little while, mull over it before I I start introducing new flavors and and pairings into it. Have you ever gotten completely stumped with one blend and said, you know, that maybe it was just so bad you couldn't find anything to pair it with? You know, I uh, I found that there have been a few that are, are a little bit more difficult. Um, I I generally, I, I have the most trouble with series. Um, so say if you've got, you know, four or five tobaccos in a series that are all similar, um, sometimes I can, I can run aground there because... Obviously, you, you don't want to just say, this goes good with a brown ale. There's four others in this series. They all go good with a brown ale. You know, <laughs> to me, that's yeah. just lazy writing. That's lazy tasting on my part. So I, I do sometimes get bogged down with, with similar tobaccos. Um, other than that, really, I've uh, luckily, I say, I, I've been able to, to pretty well nail down something for every blend. Uh, is, there, is there a certain style of pipe tobacco that's just more that's easier to pair with stuff uh yeah actually um for the most part i find aromatics are are much easier to pair things with um yeah you know tobacco has such you know with all the different strains of tobacco and and different curing techniques and and just you know there's, there's so many variations across the board you know any blend will have, you know, two, three, four specific particular, you know, notes that come to the top. You know, they they cover a broad range. And anytime you start throwing in, you know, aromatic toppings, sometimes that can get pretty hairy. It's, you know, you'll have, um, I, I, I'm actually a big fan of like the Gallic ropes. And I, I love the cherry rope. So you've got this, you know, beautiful, robust tobacco flavor with a hint of cherry topping on top. And it's just, it's strange sometimes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, ar- aromatics can definitely be a challenge. Um, non-aromatics are best, but, uh, yeah, there, there's something for everything out there. So if you've got 12 or 13 blends that you're working on and you're doing a couple of them a week, I mean, that's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty furious pace to interrupt your normal pipe smoking routine as well. 
I, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, if I know the tobaccos are, are coming, I'll normally stop my regular rotation four or five days before they come in, and I probably won't get back into the rotation until about a week, week and a half after they're done. It's just sometimes it's nice to give my tongue a break, especially after covering, you know, especially 11, 12, 13 tobaccos. A lot of the times they're all different, so it's, it's nice to give my tongue a break. Yeah, and I and I'm kind of I'm kind of jealous because I mean obviously there there's got to be tobaccos that just don't satisfy you, but yet you can still work through them and find the uh, and find something that they work with and find a positive out of everything. And besides saying, well, I didn't like it, so it sucked. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm an optimistic pipe smoker. <laughs> I, I will I will find the good in everything if I can. Um, there, there have, I'm not going to name any names. There have been a few blends that have been close, but I uh, I've reserved negative judgment until you know after the fact off off the record, <laughs> talking amongst friends. <laughs> but, but your review of them was really short. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's a trade secret, though. You don't know that. Yeah, I don't know that. No, and nobody else does, so stop listening. Uh, <laughs> all right, so now you, you've been doing this for almost two years. What, I mean, what, what advice can you give to us that might want to taste test and you know, really understand what we're smoking? Uh, for one... Take it slow and easy, uh, especially if you buy a full tin. Um, I'm, I'm going to come back to this slow and easy. If you get a full tin or even a sample, a lot of the times the sample you get from somebody is going to be more than a bowl. You know, have it at different times of the day. Have it before and after different meals. Um, you never know what kind of, it, it sounds cliche, but you never know what kind of mood your tongue is going to be in. Sometimes you can handle different blends better at, at different times of day or, you know, if you're just in a, in a different mood. Um also, it's really, really important to make sure that you, you have a pretty clear palate. Um, if you are going to want to do any, any type of, you know, taste test and you, you really want to be, you know, pretty discriminating in your tastes, you know, have, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea, have water, you know, clear your palate out between, you know, half bowls or something like that. Or, or even if, you know, you're, you're in the middle of smoking and you've got two or three whiskeys in front of you or rums or something like that. You know, don't don't be shy about drinking a lot of water, tea, or coffee in between those. It's sometimes that, that helps your palate relax a bit, and you know you're not going to get blasted in you know in the face with you know a glass of Lafroy quarter cask, and then you move on to you know Glenlivet, and you get like a Glenlivet ten or twelve. You know those are vastly different whiskeys. They're going to have a you know a different profile altogether. Sometimes one will overtake the other if you're not being pretty careful with your palate. So you've added the complication of working with all these different drinks on top of that just to try to get a pairing that works. So, so yeah. Uh, do you have a high tolerance for alcohol, or are you just absolutely snockered at the end of each night? I uh, Sadly, I have a high tolerance for alcohol. I um, had some pretty bad habits in college. Uh, I, uh, I started... My, my drinking days, you know, the, the good old college try uh, with Bacardi 151 and apple juice. Oh, half half. oh, so oh, I, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh. I, I have the iron liver, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, uh, yeah, I, I started strong. Um, no, I, I did take it pretty easy. I mean, if, if you're wanting to do a tasting, you, you don't need much more than a quarter of an ounce or a half an ounce sometimes. I mean, if you're looking for an excuse to drink while you're smoking, by all means, go ahead. But, <laughs> yeah, if I've got six or seven alcohols in front of me, I don't need a lot of each one to, to get a good idea of what's going to go well with what. Yeah, and well, now you've built up an experience of taste testing all these different tobaccos and different liquors, and I'm pretty sure you narrow it down right away and dive into something just from smoking the tobacco. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, like I said, that's, that's why I like to smoke the tobaccos first, and a lot of the times you can get a pretty good idea of, I mean, I mean, obviously you, you have to have a, a pretty decent working knowledge of, of alcohols and, and brands and how they, they work, but, you know, you, you can get a pretty good idea of what will go well with what just after smoking a bowl or two. Have you tried blends in different sizes of pipes or different shapes and had dramatically different experiences? I, I have, actually. I uh, When I do my reviews, I, I prefer to do them in either brand-new corncobs or meerschaums. I, uh, I like to get a, as much of a, you know, a pure flavor right off the bat, uh, at least for those first few, few smokes through. Um, when I come down to the actual, you know, time to bring in the, the alcohols and, and stuff, I'll I'll bring out a couple of briar pipes and run them through there just to see if they, there are any major changes. And so, sometimes it does. Sometimes it'll change the entire profile of the blend. And if that's the case, then I'll, I'll go back and, and smoke it again through briar. I, uh, the, the most difficult part about it really is, is staying general. You know, I am lucky that I have access to a vast range of alcohols and beer and wines that a lot of people don't have access to. So I, I have to stay pretty general and it's, it's the same thing with pipes. I, uh, I try to stick with Briar for any final reviews, but that's, that's just namely because I know that 85% of the, of the people, you know, reading these reviews will probably be smoking these out of Briar. In the past two years, has there been a tobacco that you first got and you were not real excited about it and then you smoked it and it just, well, you're from Texas, it just slapped your mama and made you smile? <laughs> there, there have been a few, actually. I uh, Every now and then I, I try to keep, you know, the, the pins that I, I don't make it through the entire way and... There's been a couple that, you know, I, I see the name on the list and it's like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I get it in and it's okay. But, you know, I'll pop the, the lid, I'll smoke a bowl or two, it's decent, I'll set it off to the side for, you know, three, three four weeks. Um, I'll come back and it may be, you know, decently different just from opening the lid and, and allow the air to really mix with it. Um, I have gone back to a, a couple of blends that I've had that are, you know, now a you know, year, year and a half, two years old, and some of them are night and day. It's it's really amazing. <laughs> just a just a few uh, a few trips around the sun on that tobacco, and it just made you completely happy. Oh yeah, never underestimate the power of a good sealed mason jar. <laughs> all right, so what are you doing in Oregon? What made you move all the way over there? Well, uh, partly a change of pace, um, partly my uh, fiance. She got accepted to Portland State University to finish her degree in mathematics. And so we decided to, to load up and get a taste of a, a little milder climate and get around some trees. And, uh, yeah, and I guess get some mountain air and see the uh, see some rain occasionally. 
there. I uh, didn't know what I was missing until I moved somewhere that actually got rain. Kind of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now you work you work from home for your full time job. Do you are you uh, smoking your pipe and working on some of those taste testings while you're doing your full time job? I uh, I'll, I'll save the taste testings until you know after work hours. But I I do whenever I get in my tobaccos, yeah, I'll sit down and I uh, I'll go through a couple of them while I'm sitting here working away. I uh, luckily I don't have to interact with people too regularly, so I can. I can sit down and, and get through quite a few bowls uninterrupted without any issue. <laughs> Except for the cats. Except for the cats, yeah. They're 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 big fans. I uh, I joke that I'm cat dad. I uh working from home means I'm around them all the time, so they, they come to me for everything. <laughs> Bobby, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Absolutely. What is your favorite pipe? Peterson System 305 with a Is that a, is the 305, is that a bent apple? Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's their, their traditional shape. It's got the, the flared top on it, about a three-quarter bent. Yep. Uh, what is your favorite tobacco? Peter Stockaby Luxury Bullseye Flake. And what is your favorite drink? All of them is not an answer. (laughs) Oh, dang it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Cuba Libre. I'm a a summer kid, so. There you go. Um, When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I, I prefer a book. Do you have a favorite genre, or is uh, just whatever strikes you? I, I'm a pretty voracious reader. I uh, I read predominantly sci-fi and fantasy. There's a whole lot of them, so it keeps me entertained. <laughs> hours and hours and hours. hours. Um, Absolutely. La- last question. Do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't talked about? Oh, man. Ah, you know, there was a time at Kansas City. It was just before the show wrapped up. I think it was the final night. And it was entirely too late in the smoking tent. And too much rum had been drank by all. And <laughs> it was it was a blast. So much conversation, some silly stories. I, uh, I'll, I'll, for the sake of uh, embarrassment, I'll keep names private. But it was total blast. Oh, man, you're taking all the fun out of it. Come on, we want names and times and uh, goofy things that those names did. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll just have to ask Nate King about some of his uh, his buddies in, in shows. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, never mind. We don't want to hear that. All right. How can uh, people get a hold of you if they want to uh, get a hold of you, maybe bribe you or uh, just tell you how wonderful you are? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook. Um, I do have an email address that I'd be more than happy to share with anybody. Um, it's bobby.fabian at yahoo.com. I, uh, I check it regularly. I work on the computer all day long. I don't have much else to do. <laughs> and, of course, you can read Bobby's reviews in uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Bobby, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Brian, for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. 
Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I'm really jealous of Bobby being able to have more than a couple of drinks. I mean, literally, on uh, Sunday night, we got got back from the uh, marching band uh, trip to Disney World and got home at about 9.30, 10 o'clock, had something to eat, had half of a glass of bourbon, and woke up the next morning with a headache. Uh, do follow Bobby Fabian, F-A-B-I-A-N, on uh, Facebook or wherever else you can find him and uh, send him a message. All right. Uh, for music, going back to the blues, and uh, this one's got <laughs> this one's got a bit of a message. The song is called uh, Don't Burn Down the Bridge Because You Might Want to Get Across It Again or something like that. Anyway, it's Albert King, and it goes back, oh, about 40, 50 years. But anyway, it's got a got a good message in there for uh, all you uh, young folks out there. Remember, you know, don't burn your bridges. Here's Albert King. Oh, 
If I had all the money in the world and the best teachers and the best guitars, I don't think there's any way I would be able to play like the uh, late, great Albert King. What's this? A letter for me. All right, bear with me while I get my glasses on here. Okay, in the in the mailbag, uh, going back to last week with uh, Mike Kabik, Um let's see. Casey Ghost writes, good show, nice feature on the two famous pipe smokers. I don't know if all of England has forgiven Attlee for winning the prime ministership instead of Churchill in 1945. Good interview with Mike Kabick, but I still don't know who he is. <laughs> Apparently uh, Dan's not familiar with uh, some of the American Danish-style freehands from the 70s and 80s. 
And then uh, on the contrary, Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, writes, Kabik is a great guy. Sometimes when I put one of his pipes up on eBay for sale, he will email me and give me some history behind the pipe. His knowledge base of pipe making and pipe makers of that time period has given me a great appreciation of not only his work, but the dedication that Michael and his fellow craftsmen had. No wonder those old pipes smoke so well and even today are highly sought after by many collectors. And uh, there you go. I mean, there's, yeah, uh, you want to talk about getting some old old good wood? Look for uh, some of the old uh, Chip X or uh, some of the other brands. Uh, going back a couple of weeks because I goofed up and missed it, uh, Dean wrote, Hey, Brian, really enjoyed the interview with Shane Ireland in this episode. I mean, that's how far back it goes. Uh, Amber Stem Petersons were mentioned, and I was so intrigued that I immediately went to smokingpipes.com, was, but was disappointed to find none for sale. Question for Shane, any more of these coming in the future? Uh, not all was lost, however, as I did discover a beautiful silver-mounted orange army-bent billiard that is traveling across the country to join my collection as I write this. Also, really enjoyed the musical selection this week. I smoke a pipe by Ray Kane's The Stereocratic Party. Not my usual music style, but so much fun. Found a download on Ray's Mac Jams page, uh, macjams.com song 5191, and I'm going to add it to my iTunes collection. Thanks, and keep up the great radio show podcast. You are very welcome. And uh, he went back to write that he's, uh, uh, that he's got the pipe, and... Uh, enjoying it already so there you go uh, yeah if you got any questions specifically on pipes for uh, on uh, a pipe that you want to get Shane's the guy to go to alright there's also been a, uh, a couple weeks back there was a picture floating around the internet and it was a guy it was, it was a picture of a guy named Mohammed Mohadeen Anis age 70 smoking a pipe as he sits in his destroyed bedroom listening to music on his record player in Aleppo. Uh, the interesting part of it is, is uh, here's what the article said that was written by uh, Kelly Grovier on the BBC Culture page. Uh, it is one of life's smoldering ironies that smoking tobacco damages the body while holding a pipe sharpens the mind. The pipe, the British novelist William Makepeace Thackeray once wrote, draws wisdom from the lips of the philosopher and shuts up the mouth of the foolish. It generates a style of conversation, contemplative, thoughtful, benevolent, and unaffected. Nor was Thackeray alone in thinking so. Albert Einstein insisted pipes were instrumental in teasing out common objective judgment in all human affairs, while Arthur Conan Doyle's literary invention, Sherlock Holmes, famously measured out the complexity of crime in pinches and puffs. It is quite a three-pipe problem. Uh, curved quizzically into question marks, pipes are the very shape of thought. They are as tepper temperamentally transformative as they are physically compromising. If a writer or artist wants to interject an air of meditation into a scene, the inner position of a pipe is the shortest of shorthands for doing so. The Dutch old masters made great uses, uh, great use of pipe smoker, and later artists such as Paul Cezanne and James McNeil Whistler would recast him as an allegory of life's slow exhalation into air. 
Vincent Van Gogh auditioned himself several times in the role of a pipe-wielding contemplative. Uh, when the Belgian surrealist painter René Magritte wanted us to reflect on the inherent disconnection between representations of reality and reality itself, he did not scrawl across his provocative canvas the treachery of images. This is not a glass or a tree or a chair, but rather... Uh, so, well, I'll screw that up, but it's about, this is not a pipe. Uh, that's what he wrote in translated. Uh, the article goes on to say, as a prop, the pipe has slowly sculpted itself since its earliest appearances in Dutch Golden Age painting of the 17th century into something intensely philosophical. A cue to the eyes that the scene they behold is an allegory to muse upon, a meditation on life, not life itself. Until now, an extraordinary photo taken by AFP's Joseph Ide in battle-ravaged Syrian city of Aleppo has forced us to rethink the cultural cliché of the pensive pipe as mere metaphor. Shot in the ruined, bomb-rattled home of Mohammed Mohadine Anis, also known as Abu Omar, a 70-year-old collector of vintage cars, the image is a mute dirge to the savage dev devastations of war. Sitting on the edge of his bed with his legs crossed as he listens to music on a record player, Abu Omar seems at first glance a caricature of art historically, historical introspection, a composite of countless portraits of a nostalgic subject cradling the smooth stumble of his parabolic pipe. Now that now, if the writer knew about the term stummel, you know he's a pipe smoker. Uh, anyway, it goes on to say, but the scene of utter destruction in which Abu Omar's romantic frame incongruously sits is all too literal and unstaged, an admonishment for blurring the boundaries between life and art. What we see is not an image projection of interior introspection or fanciful tableau woven from waftings of symbolic smoke. No, this is not a pipe. It's something far more powerful than that. Uh, you can uh, see the full article on uh, on uh, BBC Culture's Facebook page. And again, it was uh, a short article written by Kelly Grovier. All right, in uh, just a minute, rant time. should call tonight's episode uh, a message to young people because we had Bobby a young guy we had uh, Albert King telling us don't burn our bridges well now I'm going to talk to you young folks that are raising kids because yes we just got back from this band trip and one of the discussions that came up amongst us parents was the lack of participation of parents in, throughout the year in the band booster club and just overall seems to be a waning of support from the parents coming out to see the band and support the band. Well, you know what? My, neither my wife and I break the bank when it comes to IQs. Neither one of us has, uh, you know, there's been times when, uh, when money's been tight. But no matter what our kids were involved in, we made sure and we showed up. And in, in situations where we could, we participated. 
If it was youth league basketball, I'd show up and help out when I could. If it was the marching band, I would get involved when I could. My wife's volunteered with Girl Scouts now for uh, 16 or 17 years. Whatever it was, whatever the kids were doing, we were involved. If they were school nights, back to school nights, we went and met all the teachers every year. Uh, Parent-teacher conferences, we'd always show up. Well, I'm sorry, but if you're a parent to a child and you can't show up for at least a couple of their events each year, you know, that's pretty sad. Maybe you ought to rethink becoming a parent if you're not ready for all that. Uh, Just show up. Be part of their lives. Be involved in what they're doing. Talk to them about what they're doing. Participate in what they are doing, and you will see a huge benefit from it. Uh, Young people, you shouldn't be listening to this show anyway. But uh, involve your parents in what you're doing, especially if you're over the age of 18 and now you're out of college. Keep involved with them. All right, there you go. There's my rant. Message to you, young people. Stay involved with your kids. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. If you get a chance, please rate the podcast on iTunes. We would appreciate that. Follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. And you can send me a friend request to uh, Brian Levine on Facebook. Questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page and all that standard stuff. Thanks to Bobby for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace.